0: Welcome to the Revital Health Podcast. I'm Jodie Duval, and I'm a functional naturopath in Perth, WA. This is a place where you can expand your knowledge on how to optimise your health and realise your full potential. We'll have cutting edge information with expert guests and having lots of fun along the way. Get ready to be empowered and motivated to reach your higher vitality and find your ultimate potential. Let's go! Today I had a mind-blowing chat with Kieran Krishnan on this episode of the podcast. This is not to be missed. So Kieran Krishnan is a research microbiologist and has been involved in the dietary supplement and nutrition market for the last 20 years. He comes from a strict research background, having spent several years with hands-on R&D in the fields of molecular medicine and microbiology at the University of Iowa. He left university research to take several leadership positions in global companies in business development and product development. And most recently, Kieran is a co-founder and the chief scientific officer at Microbiome Labs. Microbiome Labs is a leader in microbiome and probiotic research. He is a frequent lecturer on the human microbiome at medical and nutrition conferences. And he is an expert guest on national radio and satellite radio and has been a guest speaker on several health summits as a microbiome expert. He is currently involved in over 18 novel human clinical trials on probiotics and the human microbiome. Kieran is also on the scientific advisory board for seven other companies in the industry. Kieran has published clinical trials in peer-reviewed scientific journals and several global patents in his name. So today in the podcast, we discuss Kieran's passion around the microbiome and where it all started, how our understanding of the microbiome has changed in the last 10 years, what we need to know about the probiotic supplements and spores, in particular Megaspore, and why it's so effective, research around probiotics and the flaws and the triumphs, and should we we be isolating specific strains for treatment of specific issues or imbalances, gut testing and what we should be looking at measuring, And the next directions of the microbiome research, where we are headed. And we also look at Kieran's three things that he does to look after his gut health daily. So we hope you enjoy. It's definitely full of really, really amazing information. Hi, Kieran. Thank you so much for your time and coming on the podcast Um, after your night and my morning. Thank you so much.
1: (laughs) It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So it's a great Opportunity to be able to talk about um, probiotics and microbiome and b- bacteria um, and get to share that to the other side of the globe. So it's um,
2: I know here yeah, in Australia.
1: It's an <laughs> you yeah, thank you.
0: Oh, my pleasure too. And I'm so honored to have you on the show because um, for me you're you're the absolute expert in terms of the microbiome. Um, and I really wanted to get your, um, your story, I guess, is how you've ended up where you are now and what's led your passion for the microbiome or the gut, as we would call it as well.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, so I've always been a big science nerd, even as a kid, I I was born with this innate curiosity to understand how the world around me works. And I, mm. I was never satisfied with taking things for granted. Um, and and I, in many ways, I'm sure it was very annoying to my parents and, and friends and <laughs> siblings and all that because I always wanted to know exactly how things were working, probably well before my capacity to understand such things. And so um, I was always the kid that asked a lot of questions. Um, in fact, my mom is a, is a medical doctor. And uh, when we lived in India and Malaysia, particularly in Malaysia, um, she actually named one of her clinics after me, uh, wow. Clinic Kiran, because um, I was always coming in there and asking her about devices and medicines and all this stuff. And I would, uh, when she would allow me, I would, I would sit and watch her do certain procedures like suturing people up and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that always had this like, you know, drove this innate curiosity. Yeah. Um, and I knew I wanted to go into the field of science because that was... Science is all about discovering kind of the unknown and, um, and, and you know, doing it in, in a sort of empirical quantifiable way, which is what satisfies my mind. Um, and so when I, when I started at university, um, I wasn't sure what area of science I wanted to go to. And in that very first week they had a movie playing, which is actually quite relevant to today, right now what's going on, the movie is called Outbreak. Um, and it was that movie on, on this pandemic, uh, with Morgan Freeman and Dustin Hoffman. And, uh, they were people that worked for the CDC and they were chasing this virus around and trying to figure out a cure. And that got me super excited and stoked. And I said, that's what I want to do. I want to be studying viruses, studying bacteria, chasing these things around. Ultimately, what I wanted to do was work at the CDC, um, which I'm quite glad, my wife took me in a different direction with my science and, um, you know, but there's a part of me that's right now every day when I watch and look at the science and all that's itching to be out there doing it and helping them uh, with Mm. the pandemic, because that's really what got me interested in this field. Once you get into microbiology and if you have any curiosity about it at all, um, you start studying microbes and you are thrown into an unseen universe that is just, Absolutely fascinating. You know, it's like, it's like quantum mechanics for physics, uh, for physicists. And and in fact, there's a lot of similarities because it's like this world that certain rules that we are used to and accustomed to just don't apply. You know, Mm -hmm. there are natural things that occur in the, in the micro world as they do in the quantum world that are just so mind boggling um, that it, that it, it, it just keeps driving your fascination. To dig deeper, learn more, understand better, so that we can understand just minuscule amounts about ourselves. Um, you know, and that—that's the f- real fascination for me. When the human microbiome project started, is we started to get a small glimpse into how we actually work. If we thought we knew about our system before this, we had no idea. You know, even now as we start looking at the microbiome we are just tapping into the other 90% of being human. So just, so just to give that analogy some little color, um, you know, we used to think that everything about us, our own DNA, our own genetics, dictated virtually everything about us. Um, we are a construct of tissue, connective tissue, neurons, vascular tissue with the brain, which is a central command controlling everything. Then we have heart, lungs, and kidneys, and pancreas, all these organs covered in this shell. That was the extent of our human understanding. And all of our research on, on the human system, on disease, pathology, and all that, focus on this construct, right? Now we come to find out we've got over 150 times more bacterial DNA in our system than human DNA. So we are 100 times more in terms of function, bacteria, than we are human. We've got you know, upwards of 10 times more bacteria cells and microbial cells in our system than human cells. We are so much more than the construct we thought. We are a walking, talking rainforest. We are what we call a holobiome, which is a super organism, right? So we are an organism made up of thousands of other organisms that all have to work in concert to maintain a, 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 a certain ecology and perpetuate the wellness of the whole. And the moment we start breaking down different parts of our ecosystem, that's when you start to see disease show up. Um, and that's the profound part of all of this for me is that we can trace back virtually every chronic illness that we, are, that we deem to be a major problem um, that you see with most of your clients and patients um, back to some dysfunction in, in our ecosystem. And the exciting thing about that is because it's an ecological problem for the most part, we can fix it if we understand it, right? If it's a genetic problem, we can't change our genes. And very few things are actually genetic problems.
2: Yeah, wow.
0: I know, and that's the positive part of it is that we have have tools and we can fix it. And it's that rebalance that we need to bring back in. And what fascinates, yeah, what fascinates me about all of that is that crosstalk between the ecosystem and even just those individual, um, micro microbes, I guess. Um, and, yeah. and learning about that. When I first discovered that I was, I was blown away. <laughs> um, and their, their intricacies and how the science has, has shown how they, how they talk to each other. Um, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Across vast distances too. I mean, it, you know, from the perspective of a microbe, you know, you're, you're, Uh, small intestine to your large intestine is a really big distance right Um, that'd be equivalent for us from new zealand uh, from australia to chicago Um, you know and we have these amazing technologies like this to be able to communicate with one another instantly they've got their own innate technologies that have been around for millions of years where they can communicate from those great distances with one another Um, you know they live within these amazing lattices like biofilms Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which is a, um, a kind of a, a internet of their own, uh, which they can influence in their little micro region, and that spreads out to the rest of the community structures across the across our body, which is where yeah. they're all um, hanging out. Um, yeah. So it's it's fascinating, yeah. It's it's absolutely mind boggling, and the thing is, it, it's it's finally giving us a glimpse into how we function,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, and it's finally telling us. How badly we've screwed ourselves up because absolutely all the things
0: we put in, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean,
1: if you just think about it for a moment, right? In in describing what a human actually is, when I was just talking about, we are Mm. what would be a microbial construct, right? We're made up of microbes. In fact, a human cell. Is, is really uh, an, an ancient Archaea with an ancient uh, single cell, uh, which would be a bi- bacteria, mm-hmm. uh, like an ancient pleiotropic bacteria and an ancient Archaea came together and the ancient uh, pleiotropic bacteria got swallowed up essentially by the bac- by the Archaea mm-hmm. and they formed what is now a human cell. So inside mm-hmm. every one of our cells are ancient bacteria, the, the mitochondria, and so you know, we are a microbial construct. We can't get away from that. That's how we have been built by millions of years of evolution. Mm. And we've taken this elegant, amazing microbial construct and we've put it in an antimicrobial world. Yeah. So we've shot ourselves in both feet
2: yeah. um, and,
1: and and really given ourselves a hard go at uh, at being well, because everything around us is about destroying microbial ecosystems, right? And we could yeah. talk about lots of those things, but there's so many common things that we all encounter every day mm-hmm. that basically hurts this ecosystem
0: yeah, absolutely as a as a naturopath myself, we've always focused, and when we teach, we focus on the gut, and it was always like naturopaths always all, that's all they talk about it all comes from <laughs> the gut, it all comes from the gut, it all comes mm-hmm. we're like yes, it does, it absolutely does, and now um I feel research has. Um, really proven that and and we really yeah. need to be focusing on that for those multiple reasons. It blows my mind what you what 're saying about you know these ancient um, bacterias and, and it 's just it 's so fascinating um, yeah I'm, uh, really diving deep into it, yeah
1: yeah, and think about it you know when we look at ourselves we 've got our chromosomal DNA, and then we are have our own mitochondrial DNA as well Absolutely. we have a whole separate set of codes just in that mitochondria those are ancient bacterial codes that we've preserved in our cells and we keep transferring to other cells. We're talking about these pleiotropic bacteria, you know, being billions of years old. Mm -hmm. They are some of the oldest things on earth and they exist within our cell. Um, And the codes that they use to communicate billions of years ago are still being used by our own cells today. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's interesting about, you know, one of the things I, I think is fascinating about naturopathic medicine and here in the US, we're big supporters of the naturopathic medicine or medical community uh, because everything did come back to the gut. And then when you look at uh, lots of ancient, um, you know, really predates modern science, um, you know, modalities like traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic, when you look at all those things, they all focus back onto the gut as well, Absolutely. right? Yeah. And that that predates modern scientific uh, process. And, and it says that. We had it right from the beginning, just using our intuitive observations and our instincts. Mm-hmm. Right, the, the clinicians of those times were, were smart enough, intuitive enough observers of nature to understand that, wow, it comes back to our gut. I mean, Hippocrates said, you know, 400 BC, that death sits in the bowels and, and poor digestion is the root of all disease. And so it is fascinating that, that it's all started there. We went way away from it. And then <laughs> fortunate things were coming back to it now. Um, and we have the modern science to actually prove it. Yeah. beyond doubt.
2: Yeah.
0: So g- going into that science now, how, how has that changed? You know, since the microbiome project, obviously we've had a lot more come out about the microbiome. Um, so what, what have you seen in terms of, how it's sort of come out of of the scientific community and, and how we're using that in in clinical practice as well as um, you know healing healing our bodies.
1: Yeah, um, and and I, I will say that we are still at the very tip of the iceberg with this with this microbiome world, right? It's it's we're still in its infancy, but we've we've gained a lot of knowledge and thus power yeah. from it. Um, the the biggest messages that that I'm seeing across the board when you read hundreds and hundreds of papers. Like the way I do, or do the research that we do. We're doing. um, We publish. We've published six human clinical trials so far. We've got about twelve others going on. So we're about almost twenty trials deep into the whole microbiome space right now. Um, And the amount of information that's coming out is staggering. This has never been seen in modern science. Give you an example. In the last five years, right there have been fifty. Thousand published studies on the microbiome in five years. There are numerous thousands of scientific topics that have never had fifty thousand papers published on it, even in the entire lifetime of, of that topic in, in decades, let alone five-year period. So the amount of information that's coming out is like a fire hose, hose and and it's and it's hard to digest because yeah, the nature of, of research is that if I'm a researcher and I'm heavily focused on one topic. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm going to go as deep as possible on that one topic, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then yeah. the data coming out of that is really heavily hyper-focused on that one topic. The question is, how does that discovery and, and what I'm discovering there, how does that impact these other areas? How do you connect the dots, right? That's right. And that's the role that I, I try to play as much as I can. And other people similar to me try to play as well is, we do our own research, we're also heavily involved, uh, understanding of what other research people are doing, and we can take mm-hmm. all of the research and kind of connect the dots for people, especially for clinicians, yeah. who then need mm-hmm. to use it to make people better. Because mm-hmm. none of this is, it means anything if it doesn't translate to action for the patients to improve mm-hmm. their health. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk in general, what mm-hmm. we're seeing
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: is that, Modulation of the microbiome is really where the the rubber hits the road in terms of achieving significant health. And what do I mean by modulation? That is taking the existing ecosystem and the balances that you find in the existing ecosystem that are leading to disease and dysfunction and, and fixing the balance. A lot of times that means just two things, and we can get deeper into each of these things, but there's two main features of what we mean by rebalancing the microbiome. Number one, it's bringing about diversity in the microbiome, in the gut microbiome, Yeah, right? Diversity in the gut microbiome is absolutely paramount to health. In fact, there are studies that show that your longevity is dictated by the diversity of your microbiome.
2: Mm. If your diversity
1: starts to shrink, then your risk for, um, for chronic illness and, and not making it any longer will continue to increase dramatically. People in their 90s who are who are relatively healthy, who have low levels of chronic illness and doing really well, they tend to have the diversity in the microbiome of 30-year-olds, wow. right? Wow. So if your diversity starts to shrink decade after decade, then your health and wellness decline very rapidly with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so diversity is one really important thing. And, and there's lots of studies on a bunch of other things like, you know, Inflammatory bowel conditions, colorectal, metabolic syndrome, uh, cancers, all of these things tied to diversity in the microbiome. Second part is there are certain species within the microbiome that are considered to be keystone species. Mm -hmm. These are keystone strains. These are really important bacteria that not only have direct effect in protecting the host against uh, disease risk, but they also protect the rest of the microbiome in large part. So when the keystone strains get affected in a, in a profound way and their numbers start to go down, you start to get a real significant shift in the balance in your microbiome. That's the shift that starts the process of chronic illness. It leads to leaky gut, uh, dysfunction in the mucosa, dysfunction yeah. in the barrier system of the intestines. That disrupts the immune response, not only in the gut, but the rest of the body that sets you up as a foundation for chronic illness. Nine out of 10 chronic illnesses can be related back to that same pathophysiology. Right before we got on, I I did a webinar, uh, and it was really exciting. There were a 1,000 clinicians on it, Um, and the the whole webinar was about showing them all of the evidence, the, the, the published studies on how the same gut dysfunctions lead to seemingly unrelated conditions like reflux disease uh, Mm -hmm. depression diabetes lupus you know if you just take those four right they are seemingly unrelated they present completely differently right Mm -hmm. if a patient of yours goes to a conventional doctor and says hey doc what does my reflux have to do with my depression the doctor will say not nothing your reflux is here and you're in your upper GI and your depression's in your brain. Yeah. Or if they go, what does my diabetes have to do with my depression? They would say, absolutely nothing. Your diabetes mm-hmm. is in your pancreas and your uh, your depression's in your brain.
2: Yeah. As it yeah.
1: turns out, there's all of these public studies in my, on the microbiome uh, science world where they show the pathophysiology of all of those seemingly unrelated conditions mm-hmm. are exactly the same amazing. Right. So, My yeah. That's the most important part is there is a universal truth within the microbiome of how you improve the function of the microbiome that then thereby helps with all these other conditions.
2: Yeah. Um
1: yeah. you know and and it, it, you don't have to be nitpicky about it. It's not like hey patient A you are depressed so that means you have this one thing wrong with your gut and we're going to tweak that. Patient B you have diabetes that means you have this one special thing wrong with your gut. We're going to tweak that. Yep. It's not. There are universal truths behind what's going on in the microbiome.
0: Amazing. So it's a very, very much a holistic um, way of looking at and treating the, the, mm-hmm. the microbiome and the rebalance and um, where, where are that sitting. So now into specific probiotic strains and um, obviously the, the, the wonderful product that you, ha- you guys have, which is the Megaspore. Um, which I got a hold of and it's, I've literally run out of stock again because everyone is saying how amazing and, and the effects that they're having on their body is amazing. Talk me through the differences between the probiotic supplements and the spores and um, where we should be focused on, on clinically treating people. And I know you said then holistically. So is there mm-hmm. any use in trying to specifically pull out those, those t- strains and then treating with those?
1: Yeah. Um, In fact, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about the the history of probiotics. So it Mm. gives people a little bit of background on on where these other ideas of probiotics came from. And it's important to note, right, that we really didn't understand anything about the gut till about 2013, 2014. That's when more of the bulk of of um, studies started coming out on the microbiome. And as I mentioned, in the last five years is where we've had the big chunk of 50,000 studies coming out. So, 20 we are in 2020. Subtract five years, it's 2015, where we really started to learn the bulk of what's going on in the microbiome. Most probiotics on the market today and the approach people take to probiotics were were developed way before that time. Right? These, mm-hmm. Many of the most common probiotics and, and the way companies and people develop probiotics were developed in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, well before we knew anything about the gut. So we were developing products and therapeutics and things that presumably would help without knowing anything about the system that we were supposedly treating, yeah. right? So that in itself is illuminating, hopefully, for people that, wait a minute, maybe we weren't taking the right approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and let's talk about the way the probiotics came from. So I'm the, um, the researcher that's credited with the, the, kind of the discovery of this idea of probiotics is a Russian scientist named Ily Mechnikov in the early 1900s. And the concept that he that he uh, really came up with was this idea of using bacteria as quote-unquote good bacteria to help a disease condition, right? So he um, actually had a culture of bacteria that he was fermenting dairy with. So he had a fermented milk product that he was giving to patients with, with GI issues, with, with real disease conditions and they were getting significantly better. So documenting that he actually ended up winning the Nobel prize for that idea, which is a great idea. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then it went on from there showing it spreading slowly across the globe that fermenting with certain cultures actually has a clinical benefit. Now, you can go back and see other ancient cultures have been doing that for a long time already, right? Yeah. I mean, even in, in India where I come from, there's so many foods that, are, that come from certain fermentative cultures, both mm-hmm. breads and, and dairy products and all that stuff. So fermentation is no, nothing new. He brought a science to that, that aspect. Now, um, in the Western world, certainly, fermented dairy became more and more popular. Um, Of course, things like yogurts, kefirs all kind of came out of that. And um, the idea in the 1960s then at that point, uh, there were researchers called Lillian Stilwell that came up with this notion of probiotic, meaning bacteria for life, uh, as opposed to antibiotic, which means Mm anti-life. And so the probiotic concept of a bacteria is it's a for-life bacteria, which means it provides some sort of health benefit. Then they automatically went towards these dairy fermenting bacteria because now at this point they've had 40 years of experience saying these fermenting dairy bacteria had known benefits in your system. Mm -hmm. So then they started isolating those bacteria to figure out what they were. There's all types of lactobacilli that have been used to ferment dairy, which is a great bacteria for dairy fermenting, especially acidophilus, because it ferments at a lower temperature and that, uh, sorry, lower pH. And because of that lower pH fermentation, it doesn't make it as sour. So it's, mm. it's, a, it's a better taste for yogurts and so on, okay. um, you know. And so they started isolating and said, whoa, this is a bacteria we're going to call lactobacillus acidophilus because it likes acid. Um, and then they started in the late 60s um, trying to isolate bacteria from your stool. And they were able to find some lactobacillus in your stool as well. Mm-hmm. So then the connection was made that, wait a minute, these ac- la- lactobacillus are good there's all this history now that it helps your system when you ferment with it and drink it, it's also found in the stool. So it must be living in your gut. So mm-hmm. let's just keep giving the lactobacillus into your gut as a therapy, as a form of therapy. Yeah. And they went away from, then the commercial interest went away from using it just as a ferment and delivering it that way versus isolating it as individual bacterial strains and then delivering it that way, like mm-hmm. through a capsule or a pill. Yes. So that's where the idea came from. It was at one point, the belief was we basically had lactobacillus living in our gut.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: because remember, all of those techniques up to about 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago, in, in analyzing what grows in your gut are all culture-based techniques, right? Mm-hmm. Which means we have to take the poop and we have to spin it down and take, the, and take swabs of it and grow it on a plate, yeah. right? more than 98 percent or more of the bacteria that lives in your gut cannot be cultured so we we had no idea you know what was in there outside of for the one or two percent that we could culture yeah until only about a decade or so ago right so our view is that the historical implication is these fermented products based on lactobacillus are good over finding lactobacillus in the gut so it must mean that lactobacillus is the predominant probiotic. It's the thing that lives in your gut. So let's give that to you as a supplement. And that becomes the idea behind probiotics. Then you get marketing companies involved, which happens in the supplement industry for the most part. And then they go, well, if 5 billion lactobacillus is good, 10 billion surely is better, right? And then their competitor comes along and goes, well, you have 10 billion. We're going to go with 15 (laughs) billion because that sounds better. And then another competitor comes along, no, 25 billion is where the value is. You know, and so then the numbers just keep escalating yeah. without any reasoning behind it at all, mm-hmm. right? And then they go, well, if one lactobacillus is good, surely two is better, and then three, and then four. So then we started going down this route where basically companies were competing with each other based on how many strains can you get in the product, and how, what is the dose? You know, what, yeah. is it 100 billion, 200 billion, 300 yeah. billion? We started going crazy with that. As you When you dig into the science... There's zero research showing that 100 billion is better than 50, or that 200 billion is better than 100. There's no significant dose dependency when it comes to that, and in fact, the vast majority of probiotic studies are done with one strain
2: mm-hmm. at a
1: three to five billion dose, right? So it does no support for these what I call kitchen sink formulas are just throwing everything a bunch of stuff in there, trying to get this massive dose to try to change your microbiome you're not going to get an effect now let's talk and put it into perspective you've got a product let's say that has 250 billion cells of bacteria in it Uh, and you look at the label and you go wow that's a really potent bacteria that's the word people use for high dose probiotics right they go it's really potent Mm -hmm. Um, it, it sounds like a lot because 250 billion in human context is a massive number But in bacterial context, it's nothing. You are taking that 250 billion, and you're putting it in a sea of 100 trillion bacteria. That is a (laughs) tiny drop in the ocean of bacteria. So, if your goal is to try to make an impact in the microbiome by the dose,
2: yeah, that
1: is a minuscule dose that does virtually nothing in the sea of the microbiome.
2: Right, the microbiome.
1: Yeah, it is such an immense, it's like going, you know what, I don't like the color of the ocean, I'm going to change it red, and I'm going to put six drops of red dye in the ocean. (laughs) You know, you go to your best beach in Australia, and you stand there, and you drop drops of dye in there, how many drops of dye is it going to take to change the ocean, right? That is the actual analogy. In microbial numbers, 100 billion, 200 billion, 900 billion is meaningless, yeah. if what you're trying to do is overpower um, you know, some sort of dysfunction by numbers, right? Mm. So throw all the stupid ideas of numbers out. Let's then focus in on function, because as it turns out, there are microbes that live on this earth, that live in us, around us all the time, that have specialized capability of influencing that sea of 100 trillion plus bacteria.
2: Mm. And that's
1: kind of how we honed in on what we were doing. You know, so that's, that's, the, that's where the story takes a really interesting twist yeah. in getting into the spore world. Um, so, yeah, we can elaborate on that. Should we, should we talk about that?
0: Let's do it. I think that was a, such a fantastic lead up for me as well because I hadn't had that preamble context to actually lead to where that spore
1: world came in so yes let's dive deep into that okay awesome and sorry I'm, i tend to be long-winded but i, I, I like to tell story love it. about love it. the science. right you gotta yeah. I, that's the only way people remember absolutely um, but let's talk about the spores so yeah here's what was fascinating to us and and we didn't get into the probiotic space because we wanted to mm-hmm. uh, we were kind of thrust into it by force um before having microbiome labs and having products and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, the, for the 15 years before that, I was behind the scenes. I had a clinical research organization. I was designing and running clinical trials for supplement companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I was um, a consultant for companies, helping them develop products. I yeah. was sitting on the scientific advisory board for companies. So, I was a behind the scenes kind of guy. Um, the way we got into it is a, is a large multinational brand uh, about eight, nine years ago um, asked our research group and our ingredient development group to come up with what would be the next generation probiotics. They were getting a lot of competition on the store shelves, again, by companies coming in with 100 billion, 200 billion, 300 billion, and they wanted us to kind of uh, evaluate wait, do we need to make a probiotic that sits in the refrigerator? because Everyone's telling people that that's the best quality. You got to go get the stuff in the refrigerator. Um, do we need 500 billion? Do we need how many strains do we need? They wanted us to figure that out. Yeah. We started researching this completely objectively. And we come to find out that the vast majority of it is nonsense, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you just think about the refrigerator thing for a moment. And I think most people can understand this. Um, why, why are those bacteria in the refrigerator? Well, because they have a certain potency on the label, right? It says 25 billion per dose as an example. If they leave that probiotic uh, product on the shelf over a month or two months or three months, those bacteria start to die off because they can't exist at ambient temperature, and that 25 billion potency goes down to 10, goes down to five, goes down to four, mm-hmm. and then they get in trouble
2: mm-hmm. because
1: then the uh, you know the, the class action lawyers, the FDA will 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 go after them for misleading label claims right
2: yeah so
1: then they said okay let's put it in the refrigerator because that will preserve and and attenuate the metabolic activity of the bacteria so they just stay dormant Mm -hmm. bacteria can just sit dormant in a refrigerated condition for a long time Mm -hmm. so these bacteria all of these really expensive one in the ones in the refrigerator are sitting in that refrigerator and are transported cold and they go through all of this hubbub of getting it refrigerated and keeping it cold because if it sits at room temperature, it's going to die. My question to them have always been from the beginning is if it can't survive at 70 degrees Fahrenheit in room temperature, how does it survive at 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit in the body, right? That is our internal temperature. Absolutely. And they never had any answers to that. I would call up these companies when I was doing the research on probiotics, asking them these questions. Can I talk to your scientists? I want to understand the rationale behind this.
2: Mm-hmm. Nobody had
1: any answer, so right off the bat, my my little radar goes off. the, wait a minute, there might be a lot of nonsense in this mm-hmm. whole game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm approaching this uh, as a microbiologist, so I'm the most annoying person in the world to these people, <laughs> so because um, I'm asking all the right butch- but questions, which are wrong for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so and so ultimately, what we came to find out is most of it really doesn't do anything. And when we were investigating. What would be a probiotic that actually could help uh, mm-hmm. and and create kind of a profound difference in people's lives?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We realize that it has to be one that can affect the rest of the microbes in that ocean, right? Because again, mm-hmm. if what we're trying to do is is elicit a response in the body by the dose and the the uh, the um, uh, formulation of bacteria that were created in this bottle and, yeah. and having that formulation be the impact, we're never going to get there. You're going to need a fecal transplant in order to get that kind of effect, yeah. right? Yeah. Where you're actually transplanting trillions of bacteria instead of a few hundred billion. And, and so we realized that we need to look for bacteria that have the ability to impact the other bacteria in the ecosystem, a powerful orchestrator, if you mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. Then we started digging into the research and we said, what kind of bacteria have that quality in nature? As it turns out, these spores, these uh, bacillus endospores in particular, have been used in the pharmaceutical industry since 1952 as a way of treating dysentery and other gut infections. Wow. Right? So when you send these bacteria into your gut, let's say you have a dysentery, you went to Thailand and had a bunch of fun and picked up some, some really nasty bugs in your gut that, that you need to get rid of now. Yeah. Um, you know, you send in these spores, they go in, they do something called quorum sensing where they read the chemical signature of all of the bacteria in that ecosystem. They will find the, the, the problematic bacteria based on that quorum sensing, they will go and sit next to that problematic bacteria and they will produce antimicrobials or use other techniques, which I'll mention, Mm. to bring down the growth of those bacteria, (laughs) right? So they're that intelligent. They know what our ecosystem is supposed to look like. When we put them in there, they right away go scavenging around looking for dysfunction (laughs) in our system (laughs) to repair, right uh I mean and it's it 's mind boggling to me between the five strains that we have in the megaspore product, they produce upwards of twenty five different antibiotics in microenvironments in the wow. gut to bring down the growth of other bacteria. They have that capability. We just uh, finished two studies at Cleveland Clinic, which is a big integrative medicine uh, and other research clinic in yeah. the i oh, sorry hospital in the u s um, we were doing studies on C. diff, right? Clostridium difficile infection. This yeah. is being done in mice, of course, because you can't study it in this detail in humans. Mm-hmm. What we were seeing is we can induce a Clostridium difficile infection in the mouse, which is significant in the mouse, and it's persistent, so it stays infected like in, the, like in a human. Mm-hmm. We start administering the spores. Here's what the spores do that is just mind-boggling to me that they know how to do this. And this is from a microbiologist that knows about this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So the spores go in there, they find the Clostridium difficile, and then they will surround the Clostridium difficile, right? Like, like circled mm-hmm. wagons almost. Mm-hmm. They will surround it. And because the spores don't have antibiotics that they make that can hurt the Clostridium, because Clostridium is also spore formers, they're pretty tough bacteria themselves. Yeah. What they do is they use Microchelating agents to chelate iron away from clostridium clostridia require iron in order for them to create their metabolic processes especially difficile which is the the one that causes illness that's why you get bloody diarrhea they actually eat away at the lining of the gut to try to get at the blood supply which is what they need in order to Mm -hmm. proliferate right and possibly even
0: iron deficiency
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yes. And so here are these ancient bacteria, these spores that are sitting around in the environment that we can swallow, that know to go in there, look for the Clostridia. When they find the Clostridia, they'll go sit around it and steal all the iron from Clostridia until it dies.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: killing and eliminating the Clostridial infection in this animal study by doing that. It is absolutely mind-boggling. You could not, you couldn't give me a thousand of the best researchers and unlimited money for us to be able to design a bacteria that can do that. You know, that is millions of years of evolution perfecting those kind of capabilities. Um, So when we, when we then started looking at the spores because they've been in the prescription market since 1952 with the Mm -hmm. ability to read the ecosystem in the gut, find the problematic bacteria, bring them down and start making adjustments there. We hypothesize that because they can read the microbial environment and they seem to know what our gut is supposed to look like because they know how to pick out the bad bacteria, Mm -hmm. maybe they can also increase the growth of the good bacteria in this at the same time. That was our hypothesis. It hadn't been shown yet. Um, We published a study in August of last year showing that very thing. And we had done a bunch of preliminary research to verify this as well. But finally we published that and we have another one going through peer review right now where we showed not only are they bringing down the, the growth of problematic bacteria, they're dramatically increasing the growth of really important keystone strains. Remember that term from earlier on, keystone bacteria, right? Like Acromantia, mm-hmm. Mucinophila, Fecalum bacteria, Prosnitsi. Acromantia, Mucinophila on its own is inversely correlated to everything under the cardiometabolic syndrome umbrella. Mm-hmm. And it is, is uh, The higher Acromantia you have, the more protected you are against Heart disease, diabetes, um, you know, dementia, polycystic ovarian syndrome, hypogonadism—all of these things that fall under cardiometabolic syndrome. Mm-hmm. Acromancia, this one species in your gut, protects against it. In fact, it's linear; the the, uh, the inverse relationship is almost linear. The more acromantia, the more protected you are. Um, and in fact, in human and animal studies, they've been able to show that when they ingraft and add in uh, acromancia into the system mm-hmm. it reverses the process of diabetes
2: mm-hmm.
1: right just one bacteria and when you put the spores into your system it increases acromancia growth if you have low acromancia it increases the growth of acromancia up to a thousand fold right we're not talking about a 50% increase 100% increase we're talking about a thousand fold increase same thing with fecalum bacteria and bifidobacterium longum So that is the mind-boggling thing for us is that we've got these bacteria that can go into our system, that can find bad bacteria and bring them down, and at the same time dramatically increase the growth and relative abundance of life-saving keystone strains within the gut microbiome. Because these bacteria do that, that's why they're so profound. That's why they're so effective. And that's why we are studying them in things like rheumatoid arthritis. We're studying them. We finished an acne study recently showing 45% reduction in acne lesion counts in 30 days. We just published a triglyceride study um, just two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, showing a 38% reduction in elevated triglycerides using the spore-based probiotics, no, nothing else, no statins or any of the drugs. Uh, We saw, we just published before that in February, hepatoprotection study where we induce liver damage in an Mm -hmm. animal model study. And we we were able to show that when you add in the spores, it reverses the liver damage and acts as a complete hepatoprotectant. So all of these different Mm -hmm. abilities, right? Just because we can change the microbiome. And that's the power of the spores.
2: Wow. And
0: here's me just focusing on intestinal permeability. And it (laughs) it is so much, so, so, so much more. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Because, you know, when we started the company, uh, and and the reason why we ended up starting the company is because when we finished that work that we were commissioned to do by the large multinational company, we came Mm -hmm. back. And in fact, through that work is when we discovered, okay, the next generation of, of awesome probiotics are going to be spore-based probiotics yeah right and yeah. this was before anyone else was doing anything with spore-based probiotics mm-hmm. so it didn't really exist until we started talking about it and um, and when we came to them and we in fact had created the mega spore formula for yeah. them and we said this is what we think is going to be the really effective probiotic here's how we would lay out the research for you to do the research to prove it and um, and and they just got bought out by another large group and they said you know what Thanks for all the work, but we're not going to do anything with it right now. Then we took that to all of the major companies. Well, at least not all. I would say five or six of the major companies in our space, products of which most people are familiar with. And we said, hey, guys, we made a discovery. We think this is going to be the next generation of probiotics. Um, Here's the product. And And most companies kind of scratched their head and went, we don't understand spores, not really sure what it is. And the biggest problem they had was the dose. They said, "How can we sell a four billion dose when our products are all eighty billion? The consumers are going to think uh, we're ripping them off because how do you square that 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 uh, round peg? Right? It's a, yeah. they're used to telling people the value is in this big number, and yeah. then now they're going out selling a four billion dose. They couldn't wrap their head around it. So mm-hmm. we were left with the idea of this is so important to us yeah. uh, to to we think in terms of." the impact it can be make on people, yeah. we've got to start our own company. And that's where Microbiome Labs was born, out of pure need. Um, mm-hmm. I would have never envisioned that I, if you asked me at that time, that I would have kind of my own product-related company, I would have told you you're crazy. I was per- perfectly comfortable behind the scenes yeah. doing the work, right? So.
0: Yeah. But it was an absolute necessity to get it out there. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So this, this kind of just throws all the other probiotics out the water, do you think?
1: You know, the what, vast majority you of them. Yeah. 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 I yeah. would yeah. say the vast majority of them. Now, there are some uh, products, like there are certain strains, for example, lactobacillus rhamnosus GG. Yeah. Um, incredibly well-studied strain, has lots of interesting effects, but it has all of those effects even when it's dead.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? So it's
1: not a probiotic in its natural sense. In fact, it doesn't fit the scientific definition of probiotic. It's actually yeah. uh, scientifically defined as a biological response modifier or metabolic response modifier. But it's effective for, for the yeah. specific things that it can do. Um, it has a positive impact on vaginal, uh, on vaginal inflammation. It has mm-hmm. a positive impact on um, antiviral function, upregulating antiviral function in, mm-hmm. in the body so very specific strains like bifidobacterium um, infantis 35624 is a specific serotype of infantis that has been shown to reduce incidence of diarrhea in kids it has that very specific effect
2: mm-hmm. so there
1: are strains individual strains that have been developed by by very science focused companies and they have positive effect, and you can use them for their specific effect. The thing that doesn't make any sense, that to me is just, you, you just throw them out, is the crazy kitchen sink cocktail products, where it's yeah. all about like, oh, we're just gonna throw these 12 things in and assume that these 12 things at a dose of, let's say 150 billion is uh, some sort of amazing probiotic. <laughs> right, you yeah. know? so it, it, it's just kind of arbitrary. Um, and, and, and no one's doing studies on these things. And the vast majority, less than 1% of the probiotic formulas on Mm -hmm. the market actually have clinical trials on the formula. And that's the part that really irked me and disturbed me when we first started this, because what companies are doing in the higher level companies, they're taking strains that have research on the individual strains Mm -hmm. and they're combining them all together. And then they're saying, this is now the ultimate thing because these are six research strains. Okay. That is still a leap, right? You cannot assume that if you combine all these biological things, that they're going to have a net productive function until you test it. Um, that, you know, that's the high tier companies in our space. Most of the companies fit in the lower tier where they're just finding the cheapest strains yeah. that they can possibly get, throwing it in there at the lowest costs and, and putting it out there in the market. I can tell you, if you go to a store and you buy a probiotic and they have it priced at $35, you know what it costs them to make that probiotic? Probably a dollar 50. My
2: goodness.
0: It, it, it Everyone's thinking, drives- how much money have I
1: wasted now on probiotics? <laughs> oh, it drives me insane when oh. I see these numbers. You know, uh, I, one of the big retailers here in the US, I've, I've worked with them for years now on, on different products, and their best selling probiotic product is a $12 product, single strain, Lactobacillus acidophilus. The strain has zero studies on it, uh, but it's just probiotics so people buy it they sell literally tens of millions of dollars worth of it wow. a year it does absolutely nothing and they've got like 120% margins on that thing mm. you know because it's dirt cheap to make it and 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 bottle it and stick it on the shelf and people are just buying in droves so my, my advice to people all the time is if your probiotic that you have in your shelf does not have a study on the formula yeah. uh, in humans, then just throw it out. You have no yeah. idea what it's doing to your microbiome,
2: exactly. yeah. you
1: know, and it, and it's, and, and it's not worth your time or your money.
0: Yeah. So what about, um, saccharomyces then? What's your, um, opinion on saccharomyces in treatment?
1: Yeah, so we've used it before. Uh, we've yeah. used it in formula before. Saccharomyces boulardii in particular, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, it is a, a natural bacteria that exists in the environment. You would pick it up on fruits and things like that. Yeah. Our ancestors consumed it naturally, uh, being in the outside environment. Uh, mm-hmm. And they've got uh, some of the strains of Saccharomyces, not all of them, but some of them have tons of studies on them. Yeah. You know, uh, the product that's sold in the US's flora store has a Saccharomyces boulardii that has. Maybe fifty studies on it. I mean, it's 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 really well studied and documented. So uh, we were tapped early on in the in the onset of the company uh, by a group, a large group of nursing home uh, uh, suppliers that wanted us to develop a probiotic that that was effective against antibiotic associated diarrhea, mm-hmm. because you know in nursing homes uh, the poor elderly are getting horrible nutrition, their guts are already messed up, and they're on antibiotics all the time. And so they're yeah. always having diarrhea and loose stool. Uh, and then of course, C. diff, clostridium difficile in- infections are rampant around there.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so we developed a, a probiotic that had a combination of the spores and the saccharomyces because of all the data on psychomyces with antibiotic-associated diarrhea. So it's, it's definitely useful, and there's other environmental type of bacteria, mm-hmm. um, like Pediococcus acetylacticae, we use that sometimes as well. Um, you know, There's gonna be groups of mycobacterium that become uh, important. The thing that I don't like is the whole soil-based organism kitchen sink formulas also, right? Because companies that started thinking about that started taking the right approach, That okay, probiotics are really bacteria that should be in our environment that we come in contact with naturally. Mm -hmm. And some of those bacteria have function in the gut as probiotics. The vast majority of them don't. The vast majority of them kind of die in the stomach and they can't make it through. And so then companies started doing these soil-based probiotic formulas where they would just take a bunch of bacteria that have been identified to exist in the soil and throwing it together into a capsule and calling it a soil-based probiotic. The problem with that is most of those bacteria aren't going to do anything in your gut, hmm. you know, and again, they're not mm-hmm. studying it, you know, there's other whole problems. So um, there's a lot of power in microbes. Uh, microbes are going to do a lot to resolve health issues, but you have to study them, you have to understand how they impact the rest of the microbiome, because that's where the rubber hits the road in terms of positive or negative effects right yeah Um, and unless you know and study that you really don't know what these probiotics are doing in your system
2: yeah it's so
0: complex but so so holistic in a sense that you can treat with you know one product in a in a a way and then it will have that vast effect across the whole body in a very positive Mm -hmm. way in most cases with especially with the megaspore yeah,
1: absolutely. And you just think about the tenets of naturopathic medicine, mm-hmm. you know, about focusing on the gut, about uh, the diet, the cleanness and the importance of diet, the diversity in diet, all of the, the foods, uh, the, the diversity in foods, all of that now we know services diversity mm-hmm. in the gut microbiome. Uh, mm-hmm. And then one of the, one of the tenets um, in, in naturopathic medicine, if I'm not mistaken, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that the body has an incredible ability to heal. And and in fact, right, you just have to put the body in the right condition and it will heal itself. Um, So our whole like zeroing in on the specific disease process and and attenuating it some way with a drug and this and that and tinkering around with pathways all the time, Mm. that is not, we, we don't have enough of an understanding or capability to go in there and do that right? What we have to do is put the body in a situation that allows it to heal itself. And I think that is the beauty between the connection and why I tend to gravitate even towards naturopathic um, natural medicine practitioners, because they understand that innately. Mm -hmm. And part of microbiome therapy is getting the microbiome back to a point where it can fix itself. And that's adjusting the bacteria.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. As a young kid, I knew I was going to be a naturopath when I went to see one at seven and she said, did you know that the liver can completely regenerate itself? And I went, Oh my goodness, really? And I was sold. I'm like, the body can heal itself. We just need to give it right. what it needs and it, and let it, let it run with itself. So, absolutely I completely yeah. agree with you there. Yeah.
1: I, I called out my mom on this uh, while well, my mom's a medical doctor and um, I think I mentioned that earlier and yeah. um, you know, and, all throughout my teenage years, if I was ever caught drinking, she would say, <laughs> drinking is going to kill your brain cells. She knew it was important for me to, to want my brain to work because I was always yeah. very curious. So she would say... You only you are only born with a certain set of brain cells, and your brain can't heal itself. And so, every time you drink, you're killing millions of brain cells, and you'll never get them back. And I'm, that actually act, made me pause all the time. <laughs> and every time I'm about to have a drink and enjoy myself with my friends, wait a minute,
0: how many brain cells boring. am I killing here?
1: Right? <laughs> yeah. And then here we come to find out. Hey, wait a minute. The brain has its own uh, lymphatic circulatory yes. system and stem cells, and it's regenerating brain cells all the time. So I went back and I was like, Mom all of those times you lied to me and all the fun I could have had without that guilt trip, my brain was regenerating the whole time. Yeah. You know, so. so
2: good
0: to know. We're learning so much about the body on a, on a daily, if not weekly basis. And it's it's yes. fascinating. So I just wanted to touch quickly on testing the microbiome and if we, sh- uh, you know, what's the, the relevance for it? What What clinically should we be looking for and should we really be, pinpointing some of those things that we're looking at at a, at a microbiome mapping kind of level um, yeah. is that something that you recommend um, you know i do a lot of microbiome mapping testing just to pick out certain parasites and even um, you know butyrate levels short-chain fatty acids and then even inflammatory markers of the gut but what's mm-hmm. your opinion on those
1: so um, there is value in doing the testing, right? Mm-hmm. But there, there's a lot of problems with it as well. Yeah. Uh, and in yeah. fact, this is something we've been addressing now for a year it, it, very diligently because um, my recommendation for the longest time was just, just don't do the microbiome part of the testing. I think it's totally fine to do the short chain fatty acids, organic acids, calprotectin, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff that you would look at as that, that determine function within the microbiome. Mm-hmm. Totally fine. But the problem with the microbiome, the genetic, the genomic part of the testing is there's a lot of inherent flaws in how they do the tests, right? Mm-hmm. The biggest thing is, uh, is the vast majority of companies are using something called 16S ribosomal sequencing. 16S ribosomal RNA sequencing um, is highly inaccurate when it comes down to figuring out the species level Uh, detection of bacteria, Mm -hmm. and in fact, the Human Microbiome Research Project, the American Gut, all of them have come out and said, you know what, the data on species level ID with 16S is not really good. In fact, Mm -hmm. it's like 60, 70% wrong. Uh, There's maybe 20, 30% accuracy in it, and the vast majority of companies that are using it aren't really talking about how they do their interpretation of the data. Um, if your audience is not familiar with with what this 16s means let me give you an analogy for it right mm-hmm. um, imagine i'm trying to identify you jody and i'm doing that with with a with the culmination of six pictures that i have of parts of you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a close-up picture of your forehead. I've got a picture of the back of your head. I've got one of maybe your shoulder, maybe your knee or your, your belly, or some part like that. I don't, I'm not, uh, don't know you intimately enough to know what your belly looks like, but I might look at the picture of uh, of your forehead, and I might look at the picture of your of your back of your head and your arm and your, and I might be able to identify and go, okay, this is a Caucasian woman. Oh yes, she has you know brown hair. her her skin tone is this color. So I can narrow it down. It's not a six foot tall black male. I know that, right? From the pictures. (laughs) So I can narrow it down to a category that you fit into, but no way with any great deal of certainty can I look at those sets of pictures and go, this is definitively you, right? Mm. I'm making a guess. I can make a guess based on the clues that I've been given. That's what 16S sequencing is like. You're looking at the six or seven hypervariable regions in a, in a bacteria's DNA, so just six or seven chunks, and then you're hoping to match all those chunks and say, okay, it looks like we've matched three out of six, so it most likely is this bacteria. So the, the program that they use to interpret the sequencing data is just making guesses. Just like how if we had a program to guess who the person is and they're just looking at chunks of your of your body and, and then we've created an algorithm to go, if you guess, if you get three out of the five things, just guess it's Jody, right? That mm-hmm. is how the programs are written. So it's a lot of guessing work and the accuracy is really low. Why is that problematic? Well, in order to really understand the microbiome, you have to get down to the species level for the most part, there are things you can make sense of at the phylum level and at the family level, and that's fine. Some tests do that to some degree, and and, and you can understand that to some degree. But when, it got, when the rubber hits the road, as far as really understanding the microbiome from the microbe standpoint, mm-hmm. it's you have to not only understand what bacteria are there at the species level, you also have to understand who else is there, right? Any single bacteria by themselves is meaningless Uh, in reference on its own, it's only meaningful depending on who else is there and what are the relative abundance of all of these microbes. That's where the function comes in. Because at the end of the day, at the species level, we all have a different type of microbiome. You and I, if we had tests, uh, if we had our microbiome test and it was a very accurate test, we might be at best 50% similar, right? You could have a twin sister an identical twin sister. Do you have an identical twin sister?
0: I don't, no. I do know twins, though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if you did, if you tested both of those twins with accurate microbiome tests, you'd find that even identical twins came from the same mother almost at the same time, same household, would have upwards of 50% differences in their microbiome at species Mm. level. Right. It's a very unique signature. So what is meaningful is not oh, here's a list of all the microbes that are in your microbiome. What's mm-hmm. meaningful is what are the relative proportions of different types and groups of microbes which denote function, mm-hmm. right? So a long answer to your, to your very uh, specific and, and simple, simple question <laughs> no, no, is, no, uh, and I apologize for that, but is that the microbial genetic portion in most yeah. tests yeah. don't really give you value. Uh, okay. In fact, in some many ways, they can lead you astray if you 're looking at all the other components if you 're looking, mm. uh, looking at the the metabolites if you 're looking at the short chain fatty acids if you 're looking at then an immune panel on top of that so you 're putting the pieces together as a mm. health detective, then you are obviously doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, but you can't rely on the microbiome portion of the test to really identify what's wrong with that person. Because of that, we actually ended up working over the last year with the world's leading authority on microbial ecosystems. Mm -hmm. Um, Her name is Nancy Caldwell. She's got 800 published studies in her name, right? In this topic, (laughs) in this topic. She has 60, six zero honorary degrees. Right So she has 60 honorary phDs, uh, aside from the two or three that she um, earned through at the academics. she's a juggernaut she's the sweetest old-looking woman, little, little old lady. like Aww. you would think she's like your cute little grandma, but she's a juggernaut in this world of science. Um, in fact, she led the first U.S. interagency task force on microbial identification for the anthrax outbreak that occurred. 15, 20 years ago, um, she's gotten awards from the Emperor of Japan, the Order of the Emperor, which is one mm-hmm. of the highest awards you can get. So I started working with her and her group wow. on figuring out, okay, how can we give somebody a meaningful microbiome test? Yeah. Something that'll give them some clue as mm-hmm. to the personality of the microbiome so that you can make adjustments lifestyle-wise, diet-wise, and so on yeah. to kind of give you a little bit of an, uh, of an advantage in your therapy right? Mm. And again, it's not going to be absolutes because the microbiome is a little bit of a quagmire. So it'll give you clues. It's not going to be an absolute. So we developed a test using a s- sequencing methodology called whole genome sequencing, yeah. meaning we're not just looking at the different, uh, six different sections. We are taking, looking at the entire genome of the bacteria from end to end, and that's the only way you identify that bacteria. So in that analogy I gave you, instead of looking at pieces of your body in terms of its pictures, we would be looking at a high resolution, frontal picture of you to identify you, right? So it's no mistaking who you are in that picture. Um, So it's whole genome sequencing, so we know that the data is absolutely accurate. Then we also look at groupings of certain bacteria that all conduct certain functions. Okay. and then we look at their relative abundance to other bacteria that either conduct counter functions or supportive functions so that we can tell you what tendency your microbiome has i'll give you an example um one of the things we measure which is one of like 30 something functional things that we measure is sulfate reducing bacteria you know mm-hmm. most people haven't even heard of it and have no idea why that's relevant at all but sulfate reducing bacteria what they tend to do is when they get sulfates coming in from your diet, they reduce the sulfate to hydrogen sulfide, right? Mm-hmm. That's what they tend to do. Now, the hydrogen sulfide that they, that they create is very inflammatory to your large bowel. Some of it can be utilized in a beneficial way, but the large majority of it becomes very inflammatory to your large bowel and actually creates significant leaky gut and all kinds of dysfunction. In fact, high levels of sulfate-reducing bacteria are very closely correlated with inflammatory bowel disease, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the crazy thing. Sulfates are found in lots of really healthy foods right? Seafoods and things like leeks and garlics and um, you know, lots of herbal products, lots of uh, plant-based foods all contain high levels of sulfate. And, and those are all seemingly very healthy foods, and they are healthy foods. Mm-hmm. Um, but for someone with high levels of sulfate-reducing bacteria, that could be the, the thing that's really preventing them from getting better, Mm-hmm. You know, they might be coming to you and going, you know, hey, Jody, I'm, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm eating super healthy. I eat lean fish. I eat all these plants. I eat these, uh, you know, these, um, these roots and tubers and all these things that are very healthy, but I'm still not getting better. I don't really understand why. Well, it's because they have higher levels of sulfate reducing bacteria. Every time they eat those healthy things, mm-hmm. it's being converted into something unhealthy in their gut. And that's a functionality that they wouldn't realize unless they understood that capability of their microbiome and that tendency of their Mm -hmm. microbiome. So that way we've got, um, I think in the next version of the test coming out, 31 of those kinds of functions that really relate to how you feel and what's going on in your system. And in fact, I started in this first version of the test, which we have going around in the U.S. right now yeah um, I started helping people with consults or so practitioners with consults with their patients' uh, reports mm-hmm. i 've had it in the last few where they don 't tell me anything about the patient. They can send me the report, and I can tell them pretty accurately what symptoms their patients are feeling and what their diet is like just based on seeing their microbiome analysis Amazing. right wow that 's how close we can tell by the f- understanding the functionality and the relative abundance of different groups of bacteria yeah. so if you do it that way, if you do it the way Rita would do it, if you do it the way science really shows you how to do it, and based on our new understanding of the microbiome, then you can get value out of the microbiome portion. Until you guys have the accessibility of that test, mm-hmm. I would focus on the metabolites and the other things that you're already doing. And keep this in mind, the, 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 the majority of the, the microbiome-based uh, sampling tests, at least the big ones in the U.S., we're out before the first study on the microbiome was ever published. So these are tests that are giving you data on things that are pretty arbitrary without any real reference to how that impacts actual function in the yeah. person. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like
0: just like all those multi strain probiotics out there still. Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, any probiotic that was built that was formulated before 2013, 2014, it's like, yeah they were formulating in the dark right they don't they didn't know anything about the organ system that they were hoping to help with the formulation mm-hmm. yeah. and so you know it's 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 fascinating to me and i'm hoping that companies you know start evolving and start coming back and focusing on the science and going, okay, how can we use the understanding that we have now to really create something that's going to impact people in a really positive way um that's the hope. And that's what we're trying to, we're trying to set an example of that. We're trying to let the science direct us. We're trying to follow what the research shows and, and really create tools that support what the research shows. Um, And we're hoping that other companies will follow suit.
0: Amazing work, Kieran. I just, I just love what you're doing. And I can't wait to hopefully get that test and the testing that you're creating in Australia very, very soon. um, And And we'll send you,
1: we can send you a, um, like a a sample report. So you get a chance to see it beforehand to kind of understand, well, what are all the things that we're going through? And in fact, just by reading the sample report, you'll learn a whole bunch of things on the microbiome. It's like almost like a microbiome functional textbook to understand what all is impacting the microbiome. Because the other thing we do is we did not want to test anything that wasn't actionable, right? Because that's the other thing we kept seeing as being a problem. People would send us tests and I, I happen to be out there, uh, you know, available to people. And so they will send me their tests mm-hmm. and they'll go, I don't know what to do about this because this test came back and it just shows this one bacteria high. Mm-hmm. How do I bring down that one bacteria? And I'm like, well, it really isn't a magic pill to bring down that one bacteria, right? It says <laughs> this one bacteria is high, this one bacteria is low. How do you adjust those two specific things? There's, not, there's no action step to it. And so yeah. we said, you know, anything we test and we're going to give people as information, we have to have well-referenced actionable steps to impact that in a positive way. So everything that we test has a lifestyle action, a diet action and a supplement action that can be taken mm-hmm. to, to make the change.
2: Yeah.
0: Amazing. Wow. Oh, I wish I had that now. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you did too. Yes. You're
1: I'm <laughs> going to put it out there. Yes, I know. I'm like, you're mm-hmm.
2: going to love it. You're
0: Give it to me now. Oh dear. Well, I um, I think we. I was going to ask you a little bit about the next direction of the research surrounding the microbiome, but I think you've pretty much covered that. But was there anything else that um that you're looking at focusing on in the in the near future for the research that's coming for um, development of different things that you're looking at
1: yeah um, a couple areas we are um, yeah. in fact, yeah. we've already started doing some research in this, so um, I you know I, I have the fortune of being privy to all kinds of microbiome research going on at, with all the scientific conferences I go to, and some of them I speak in, so it's, it's yeah. great to get a pre- purview of what people are doing. Mm. Um, I'll tell you what the pharmaceutical world is doing uh, first, and then I'll tell you what we are doing, what we're focusing on. Okay. Um, the pharmaceutical world has realized that bacteria in your gut make very powerful compounds that have um, amazing healing properties, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but being pharmaceutical companies, they're thinking about it. It's not like, whoa, that bacteria does that amazing thing. How can we figure out how to enhance the growth of that bacteria in your gut? Is there a food? Is there a prebiotic? Is there a probiotic that helps it? They're instead of going, what is that compound? Let's learn about it figure it out, synthesize it, create it into a synthetic molecule and then readminister it into the patient. Mm-hmm. So that's where microbiome therapeutics is going on the pharmaceutical side. It's going to be identifying these unique compounds and there's millions of them literally that the microbiome makes that are, that are really important for our health mm-hmm. uh, and have amazing healing properties and so on. And they're gonna try to synthesize it, patent it. And that's one direction. The second direction for us is to continue to understand how microbial ecosystems work. Um, What we really want to understand is what is that ecology, what is the sustainable forces within the ecology? How do microbes talk to one another? How can we, A, listen to those conversations, and B, interfere with those conversations to a certain degree? Um, For example, if there are microbes, virulent microbes, that are talking to one another to coordinate an attack, can we see that in some Mm -hmm. sort of chemical format? And if we see that in some sort of chemical format, can we alter that conversation and and have them stifle their their progress or the virulence attacks? Um, By that same token, understanding microbial ecosystems allows us to go in there and try to help the microbial ecology by bringing about more balance and so on that we think will have an outcome for human beings. We are also trying to correlate certain patterns in the microbiome with certain disease states, right? So that's our one, one of our exciting areas of research is we're trying to see like, okay, for example, um, in, in women that tend to have um, high risk and high frequency of UTIs, is there a microbiome signature to that kind of uh, uh, issue? Um, women that have, you know, hormone certain types of hormone dysfunction, is there a microbiome signature to it? So can we use the microbiome a as almost like a diagnostic, but mm-hmm. b also to um, to assess the risk of that person for continuing to have this problem? And then if we know what is off in the microbiome, we might be able to shift some of that ecology. So that's the part we're really interested in is that those ecosystems and how they relate to health. Our other big picture that we are also working on right now is we not only want to be able to impact your microbiome in your gut, we also wanna impact the microbiomes of all of the, the biomes of uh, of the things around you that affect you. For example, your pet's microbiome. So yeah. we just came out with the first gut leaky dog product. I don't know if you saw that or not. It's called <laughs> Fidospore, done. right? Okay, so this is super exciting for me. I'm a big dog lover, and our company is largely dog lovers. And then there's all of these studies that show that having a, a dog in your household dramatically improves the microbiome of everyone there. It reduces incidents of allergies and asthma yeah. and kids yeah. and a most recent study just this last uh, in 2019 came out that showed if you bring a dog into your household you live longer right so there's a longevity aspect to it yeah mm. so these amazing dogs provide us these great companions they're uh, you know uh, undevoted uh, sorry unflinching love and devotion and um and, and then, but then because they live in our toxic modern world, they are susceptible to all our kind of diseases, right? Dogs yeah. are getting atopic dermatitis, allergies, diabetes, cancers, all of these things that humans get
2: mm-hmm. that you don't
1: see in the outside canine world in the wild, but we're, we're seeing it in our domesticated oh, dogs because they are in our ecosystem. So our hypothesis was that our dogs also had severe leaky gut like we do. Mm. And, and that severe leaky gut is profoundly affecting their health through chronic low-grade inflammation. So we did two studies to prove that that was right. And those are the first dog leaky gut studies ever. Um, and those will be hopefully publishing soon here. They're going through peer review right now. And then based on that, we created a formula and tested it and showed that we can dramatically reduce dog leaky gut in as little as 30 days. So we're like, okay, we're improving your animal's health. That's sitting there next to you, sleeping in your bed with you. We're improving their health as well. Um, And then we're working on improving the health of the animals you eat. So if you're eating animals, their health is going to be really important in how it affects you, right? So we did a large-scale study on chickens showing the ability to dramatically reduced salmonella and campylobacter infections in chickens, improved their, their growth, improved their overall health status, reduced their mortality from disease, so making the chickens healthier overall. Uh, this was a large-scale 2,700 chicken study. We just finished a study on pigs, uh, showing very similar things. So what we're trying to do is go, okay, we want your pets to be healthy, we want your, um, the animals you eat to be healthy. We, did, we finished two studies on fish, On farmed fish because farmed fish still yes on trout and on salmon um, because we found that you know we realized that the vast majority of people eat farmed fish that's the cheapest most cost-effective fish it's unfortunate uh, but that's where the world is right now and Mm. farmed fish are dramatically less healthy than the wild-caught fish right that are out there and you can tell by the coloration like for example in trout. And salmon, they become more gray when they're farmed rather than wild caught because of the carotenoid levels. So we completed two studies in in farm trout showing significant improvement in the health, the immune system, the pathogenicity, like the types of pathogens they have, the carotenoid levels on their skin, all kinds of stuff. We can improve it significantly in these fish so that the food you put into your system is also healthier. We're also starting, we were just about to start the study and then the world ended and now it's all about (laughs) whole, right? We were starting a study on soil Um, microbiome because our other thinking is today, they have as little as 50% of the nutrient value of the same vegetables that were grown a few decades ago because the soil is dead, right? And the plant root system is very much like our gut lining. There's this really intimate connection with microbes at the root level that, right. that dictate the types of nutrients that flow through. So we started some soil microbiology studies to see can we improve the microbiology of the soil to then improve the health status of the plants so that when you eat the plants you get much more out of it. So you know we think big, and when I when I go Goodness. into this stuff I'm like a megalomaniac, and I'm like <laughs> I want to solve all the big problems in the world. And to us, this Love is the it. big stuff, right? We we solve leaky gut in humans, uh, which is one of the biggest disease drivers in humans. Absolutely. Now we're like, can we improve the world around you? Yeah. So everything you yeah. put near you, on you, in you becomes better for you. Yeah. Um, and that's just our, our thinking where we're focused.
0: Oh, I can't believe the work that you're doing, Karen. I'm just, I can't say thank you enough because from a clinician's point of view, and even as a teacher and for students coming out, you know, there's been so much lagging information coming forwards and I'm just so grateful for, for the work that you put in towards all of this so thank you so much
1: <laughs> it's my pleasure and, and to me it's like you know it, it is it, it is um our duty to equip people yeah. like you on the front lines of making people's lives better with the right tools, right? I mean, you need yeah. tools. You already have a lot of tools from your training, but mm-hmm. you need more tools. You need things yeah. that are coming out. You need to stay awesome. ahead of the Absolutely. game. Absolutely. And because you're Absolutely. seeing patients all the time, you don't have the time that I have to research all this stuff. And like we talked about early on, connect all those dots, right? Yeah. I can read you know, 500 research papers in a month and connect a bunch of dots you wow. can't do that because you're going to helping do that. People. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah and and so my job is let me do that for you um, put these concepts together create this knowledge and information and then what you take that knowledge and you make it real by actually affecting someone's life okay. so it's a it, to me it's an it, we are a microbiome of our own we're in a symbiotic relationship yes. um, so it's, it's an honor to be able to do that for people um yeah. that are on the front lines. I don't think I have what it takes to do what you do. Um, and so I'm, sure I'm glad you you're do. doing it. You know, and 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 I'll be here doing what I do to, to support
0: <laughs> you. Oh well thank you so much. I have one last question for you. Um yeah. and for yourself, what's what's the number one thing that you do to look after your gut health on a yeah, daily so, basis or you know any time? Yeah.
1: Sure. Um and in, in, in fact my number one goal with my gut um mm-hmm. i'll say that is to build resilience right yeah. so that's my whole thing i'm like i i'm not going to be the one to live a perfect life i'm not going to have a perfect diet i'm not going to have a perfect environment i'm going to be going out there and eating some bad things here and there i'm going to be having fun uh, uh, i'm going to be living right yeah. living is living i'm going to have a, a cookie here and there i'm going to ha- eat a hamburger i'm going to do things that that are enjoyable that are not necessarily good for me. But I want the resilience to be able to handle those things.
2: Yeah. Um, and I want
1: the resilience to be able to handle changes in my environment mm-hmm. that are outside of my control. Um, you know, I want that resilience. That to me is, is, is the optimum uh, achievement because then you can live life, enjoy life, and still feel good and still perform and function. Um, you know, when people tell me, like, oh, I feel fine as long as I don't eat this, 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 and this, and I don't drink this, 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 and this, I'm like, <laughs> well, is that really living? You know, I mean, that's you. You know, I don't want to be one of those people that has to go to a restaurant and give the waiter the third degree about what is touching what in the kitchen because I cannot have a single ounce of gluten because uh, yeah. it'll blow my system up, right? So yeah. all of those things, that resilience is what I focus on. So what do I do uh, to help build that resilience? Um, there isn't one thing, well, I mean, the simplest one thing is I take my sports, mm-hmm. you know. but I don't want that to sound commercial. It's, it's not an advertisement. It's just it, the research is so profound that if it wasn't mine and I saw it um, objectively, I would still be doing that every single day because it's mm-hmm. so important. Um, the other two simple things I do is I fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, fasting is one of the best things you can do for the microbiome itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, so letting your microbiome not feed actually does a whole bunch of things. We could do a one hour talk and just fasting oh, yeah. and how that impacts the microbiome. Um, I do that religiously every day. I do about a 16, 14 to sixteen hour fast every day, mm-hmm. mostly through the night. About eight nine hours of it through the night, and then I push it in the morning.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then uh, the 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 third part, and because I'm giving you three, you asked for Go one. for it. Uh, Go this for it. is how Go my brain it. works. Um, is is um, my my diet. I try to be as diverse. In my diet as I possibly can, I try to eat lots of different types of things. Um, you know, especially in the plant side, um, lots of different plant-based nutrients are really important. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of players in your microbiome, a lot of those keystone strains I talked about earlier, um, heavily rely on plant-based materials for their metabolism.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: so I try to give them that. I try to give them the. Start the the um, resistant starches, the roots and tubers, the mm-hmm. um, you know important uh, fibers. All of those things feed those microbes really uh, solidly. So those are three things. If I would eliminate two, I would say I would take my spores. That's the number one thing, and then the second easiest thing that costs nobody anything is to fast. Yeah, uh, those two things. Uh, adding some sort of um, intermittent fasting.
0: Yeah, I love fasting, um, and I think um, I'll take your word on that. We might have to do another hour in the near future. <laughs> when all this I'll do it.
1: This is over. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know how to reach me, and you know, I was uh, one of the trips I so sadly had to cancel um, in in March uh, that I was booked for was actually to to come to New Zealand. I was speaking oh. at a at an environmental health conference there uh, oh, in. I think it was in Auckland again. Um, and then I was stopping in Sydney to, 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 to meet and work with some people. And then in June, I was also supposed to be coming for another conference, but I don't think that's happening. Um, so hopefully when the world comes back to normal and we are allowed to travel, uh, on my next trip, I will, I will hit you up. So maybe we can, um, actually do one of these things live in person
0: amazing that would be so fantastic yeah i was actually due to come over to the u.s for a few of the conferences that were going on at this mm-hmm. time right now so i had to cancel right okay. that so hopefully so don't forget,
1: we have our microbiome conference in november Mm. We're still. We're hoping that by that time things will go start going back to normal. It's called microbiome keynotes. Okay. I actually basically invite all of these amazing researchers in the microbiome space. The kind of people I get to work with on the research side, mm-hmm. um, who are you know at the tip of the spear in their particular area of the microbiome research, mm-hmm. and and I have them coming and doing talks. And the talks I make them make it not super nerdy academic. It's, it's very practical and very clinically applicable. And then the second day is all mini masterminds so that you could sit around with each speaker for upwards of 20, 30 minutes and just ask them whatever you want and learn. Wow. And they want to learn from you as well as a as a clinician. So, so that's an exciting um, conference called the Microbiome Keynotes. Uh, and that's in November. So hopefully things are getting back to normal by then. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah well i'll have to pop that in my diary as a potential visit again Mm -hmm. amazing well thank you so much for your time kieran i look forward to speaking to you um in in a few months or you know whenever we can organize this again um and thank you so much for all of the time that you've spent with me today i really really appreciate it
1: it's my pleasure thank you
0: for listening to the Revital Health podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Revital Health, as well as our website, revitalhealth.com.au for upcoming podcasts, workshops and speaking events. Find out about specials happening in the clinic and all the show notes and links mentioned in the podcast. Please remember that this information discussed here is general information and it is not intended to diagnose or treat individuals. Please speak to your healthcare professional before embarking on any new treatments, lifestyle changes, medicines or supplementation to assess your suitability. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you again soon.